0: Hello and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode.
1: Open with me, please, to the Gospel of St. Matthew 24 once again. Heavenly Father, we ask you to meet with us now, as always, in your grace and mercy. Speak to us by your Spirit, through your Word. Let us understand these things in these last days, to serve you more effectively, to be more conformed to the image and likeness of your Son, to understand you, that we may know you, that we may serve you, and that we may be used by you to help others. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake, amen. You're never going to solve a logarithm with arithmetic. It just doesn't work that way. You need to know arithmetic to do calculus, but you're not going to solve a logarithm with arithmetic. You're going to solve a logarithm with calculus. If someone was given a big quadratic equation, or a polynomial equation, or a differential equation. And it was about a 20-step equation. And you saw the person counting on their fingers. And then they ran out of fingers, so they took up their boots. <laughs> You'd think this person doesn't realize what he's up against. He's making, uh, making something complicated into a gross oversimplification. So it is with the parable of the fig tree. What 99% of you have heard is that the fig tree is Israel. And when you see the leaves budding, that means the Jews coming back to the land. And that's a sign that Jesus is coming again. Now, let me say that the Jews coming back to the land is is a sign that Jesus is coming again. No question. They're being regarded for the great tribulation. But to say the fig tree budding is Israel and its rebirth is a nation. Well, that is a gross, gross, gross oversimplification. There is much, much more to the fig tree than Israel. It involves that, but it's not that. Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. Jesus gives the sum of all these things to expect. But then he tells us something about the fig tree in verse 32. Learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know the summer is near. Well, the first coming of Jesus was at the beginning of the Israeli summer. Their summer begins earlier than ours. Spring comes before that. And Passover, once Passover ends, that's pretty much the beginning of of, of summertime in Israel. You can go swimming, it's hot every day, and so on. And it lasts all the way virtually to October, to the Homsim. Yet, the autumn feasts of Israel are what he fulfills in his return, and they take place in the fall. doesn't quite add up. But there's something else. The Gospels are meant to be read synoptically, in light of each other. Look at Luke chapter 21. Verse 29. And he told them what we would call in Hebrew a mashal, a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. Did he just say the fig tree? So there's got to be more to it than a fig tree. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. Even so, too, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Now, he speaks about this in almost a genitive sense. All these other signs that predict, that, that precede his coming, the persecution, the falling away, all this stuff, false messiahs. He speaks of all, all those things collectively. Not when you see this thing, but when you see those things. It's like the fig tree. So to say it's Israel, that doesn't add up either, does it? Oh, it involves Israel. But that's all. There's a lot more to it than Israel. The first question we need to ask is where else does this happen in Luke's Gospel? Particularly Luke's. Turn to Luke chapter 13. Jesus interprets the parable of the vineyard from Isaiah chapter 5 in a modified form the New Testament text take it basically from the Septuagint not the Hebrew verse 6 and he began telling his parable a certain man had a fig tree which he had planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it and he did not find any and he said to the vineyard keeper behold for three years I kept come I I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. What does it even use up the ground? Why? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put fertilizer, and if it bears fruit next year, fine if not cut it down. Now this very much resembles what he says in John, doesn't it? Every branch that bears good fruit. Is that with the other one? Now, what he's doing here is he is explaining the parable from Isaiah chapter 5. That's exactly where this comes from. Turn to Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5. Verse 1, the song of the vineyard. It's poetic in the Hebrew text. It's like a a little song a poem. Let me sing now for my well-being and song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. And he dug all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it. And he hoot out a wine vat in it, and he expected it to produce good grapes. But it produced only worthless ones. And now, O oh inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that I had done, not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, Did it produce worthless ones? So now tell me, let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will become a trampling ground. And I will lay it waste. It will be pruned. It will not be pruned or hoed. The briars and thorns will come up and will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. The vineyard is the house of Israel. Now Jesus takes a septuagint version of this and introduces the fig tree into it. But in the original parable, there's no mention of the fig tree, but the vineyard was told as is Israel, not the fig tree. He calls Israel the vineyard, not the fig tree.
0: Okay?
1: What he is saying, what Isaiah is saying, and what Jesus was saying is this. Isaiah was the first prophet to predict the Babylonian captivity because of the unfaithfulness of Israel and Judah. Okay, the land was left desolate by the Babylonians. It became a place where thorns grew, and all this and was abandoned. It was uncultivated. The temple was destroyed. In time, Jeremiah would be arrested and imprisoned and rejected. And he would be compared in the book of Jeremiah to a lamb led to slaughter. What Jesus is saying is, well, what happened then is going to happen again. Only instead of Jeremiah being rejected and put in prison, with the Levites turning the people against Jeremiah, the Sanhedrin would turn the people against Jesus. And instead of Babylon, it would be Rome. Except that in the end of his first epistle, Peter calls Rome Babylon, doesn't he? Because it's the same mystery religions that began in one. We have this on the Futuristic of the Church page, And he was saying the same as under the Babylonian captivity, the land was left barren for a long time. And thorns grew. And thistles grew. And the land was uncultivated. That would, and the temple was destroyed. That would happen again. And it did in 70 AD. The Jews were scattered. And for centuries, the land was laid barren. When the Halutsim, when the Jewish pioneers came back in at the turn of the last century, they first came in the first Aliyah. Most of the land was either desert or swamps. That was just rife with malaria. And also, there's mosquitoes with plasmodium vivax all over the place. People were dying of malaria. They were dropping like mosquitoes. Some places, they 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 lost more people to malaria than they did any any, anything other. Horrible. That prophecy was literally fulfilled in Isaiah's day, and it was literally fulfilled in Jesus' day. The land was left barren and desolate. The temple was destroyed. Also, I will send no rain on it. Now, we deal with this on the autumn feast of Israel tape, but we all know what the rain means, don't we? What, we, what, is, what is it? Holy spirit being outpoured? or not being outpoured as in Amos, as in Isaiah 44, as in John 7. It will be unfruitful. Now, the text of Isaiah talks about grapes. Jesus talks about figs. He modifies the text. Thalim in Hebrew is figs. Now, Jesus is saying, this is what Isaiah meant, where he puts a fig tree in the vineyard. In rabbinics, from ancient, ancient times, the fig tree was a metaphor for the Eit the tree of life. You know our tapes, we explained the Midrash on John 1-3, the creation and the new creation, right? Jesus sees the sand under the fig tree. I saw you from the garden, from the creation, from the foundation. Okay. right. Adam and Eve had a choice. They could either eat from the tree of life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the world. Under the influences of Satan, try to establish a law unto themselves, their own standard of righteousness. What Adam and Eve did, once they ate of the tree of the world, they took the leaves from the tree of life and sewed them together to hide their nakedness. Nakedness in the Bible does not mean the beach in Eilat or the beach in Maui. It means not having the garments of salvation, as Isaiah called them, or as Paul called them, and so on. Not having the white white wedding garments, and so on. They sewed fig leaves together. What are these fig leaves? Turn to the book of Revelation. You also see this in Ezekiel 47. But there's the tree of life to which Adam and Eve were restricted, bearing its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Fig leaves are figures of good works. Fig leaves are figures of good works. When Adam and Eve sowed fig leaves together, they were trying to justify themselves with a work righteousness. Do you understand? But God said, No, that is not how you will cover the nakedness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no atonement. You slaughter the animals and cover them with skin. Man will always try to justify himself with religious observance and practice, sewing fig leaves together, the Mother Teresa syndrome. Man will always try to justify himself with fig leaves. It is only the blood of Jesus that can justify us. True Christians do not do good works to get saved. They do good works because we have been saved. Because we've been saved. Every religion in the world tries to justify itself with works. Every single one. The first thing that fallen man tried to do was justify himself with works. Roman Catholicism? Works. Mormonism? Works. Rabbinic Judaism? Works. Islam? Works. All of them are based on one thing, trying to earn your salvation. Something that nobody could ever earn. There was only one religion God ever ordained. That was Mosaic Judaism. Not to be confused with the Talmudic Judaism of the rabbis. As we're told in Galatians chapter 3, its purpose was to point us to Jesus. The purpose of the law was to show the Jewish people that they could not save themselves and that they would be an example to the other nations and peoples. A light to the nations, all the Goyim, that we cannot save ourselves. The purpose of the law was to show we can't keep it. There's other purposes, but that was the main one. To lead us to the Messiah. To show us the futility of trying to save ourselves and to show us how fallen we are. To show us that we're so, we can't save ourselves because we're too fallen. That we have no other plea except the blood of the Messiah. No other hope except his resurrection. No other. Sewing leaves together. Now, with this in view, turn with me, please, to Mark eleven. We could read this from Matthew, but we'll read it from Mark. Mark eleven thirteen. And seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps, just like Isaiah, just like Luke thirteen. He would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he answered and said, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Now let's look at the version of it in Matthew 21. Verse 19. And seeing a lone fig tree by the road, He came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. And seeing this, his disciples marveled, etc. Jesus cursed the fig tree. If you say the fig tree is Israel, you're saying Jesus cursed Israel. He didn't. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He forgave the Romans who murdered him and the Jews who put them up to it. Not that all Jews were guilty of it. Now, the Jews cursed themselves. Let his blood be on us and our children. But Jesus never cursed them. He said, forgive them. They cursed themselves. If you say the fig tree is Israel, you're saying that Jesus cursed Israel. He didn't. They cursed themselves. He wanted to forgive them. It connects with Israel, but it's much more than Israel. Why did he curse it? Leaves are essential. Normally in the Middle East, the leaves bud at the same time as the fruit. The sun in the Middle East is so hot it will burn up the fruit unless the leaves cover it. The figs are embedded in the leaves. Without the leaves, the fruit is burned. Water leaves, work. Faith without work is dead. Nothing wrong with the reeds. They're good, they're important, they're essential. But they are not edible. Israel had a work righteousness. The Pharisees, the Sanhedrin were obsessed with mitzvot. They still are obsessed. They get neurotic about it. And so he tested. They had the works, but they didn't have the fruit of the spirit. Mother Teresa had works, but she had the fruit of the spirit. When you say I convert these people to be better Hindus and better Muslims, let them worship demons and send them to hell without Christ, you didn't have the fruit of the spirit. Are people bringing the Jews back to Israel? without Christ, without giving them the gospel, saying we want to bring you back to the land of Israel and just send you back there for the great tribulation, but we're not going to give you Yeshua? They have leaves. but no fruit. They have the fruit of the Spirit. They want those Jews to be saved. He curses the fig tree. Cursed. They had to work Righteousness. The tree of life was to come from the Jews. The way to the tree of life was to be through Israel. Salvation comes from the Jews. John 4. Understand? The problem, of course, in Isaiah was the vineyard, wasn't it? It was the fault of the vineyard. In other soil, the tree might have grown better. And it did. The gospel prospered more among the Gentiles after the second century than it did among the Jews. Of course, in the last days, God very graciously turns his back towards them. Uh, is back towards them again. Having turned his back from them, he goes back towards them. That's true. So you have to see, these. You got the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Now it says, it was not yet the season for things. The leaves appear, but the fruit comes slightly after. Wasn't yet the season. Why did he curse it? Because there was no fruit if it wasn't yet the season. The Son of Man comes at an hour we do not expect. Turn with me, please. To Proverbs twenty-seven, eighteen: He who tends to seek tree will eat its fruit, and he who cares for his master will be honored. Notice how it puts the ones who cares for his master will be honored, and one who tends to seek tree will eat its fruit. The religious leadership made themselves the masters of the vineyard. They weren't good servants. They were like stewards trying to hijack what was only their stewardship. No, no, no. <laughs> Proverbs 27 18. 27 18. That was a problem. Look at Jeremiah 24. Verse 1. That the Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the officials of Judah with the craftsmen and smiths from Jerusalem. And it brought them to Babylon, the Lord showed me two baskets of things set before the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good things, like first right things, and the other basket had very bad things, which could not be eaten due to rottenness. And the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? And he said, things. The good things, very good, and the bad things, very bad, which cannot be eaten due to rottenness. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, like these good things, so I will regard as good the captives of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans. For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them again to this land, and will build them up and not overthrow them. I will plant them up and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. For they will return to me with their whole heart, but like the bad things which cannot be eaten due to rottenness, indeed... Thus says the Lord, so I will abandon Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials and the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land, and the ones who dwell in the land of Egypt. Good trees don't bear good fruit. Bad trees don't bear bad fruit. There's something similar in Jeremiah 29:17. 17. Sorry? Good trees don't bear good fruit. Uh, good trees don't bear bad fruit and bad trees don't bear good fruit. Something similar in Jeremiah 29:17. Sorry, it's my mental dyslexia. Combined with senility and latent cocaine-induced psychosis. <laughs> Now, what does it say in the parable? I will take it and give it to others, right? He separates the good from the bad and makes a new beginning with the good ones. So what happens in the Babylonian captivity would happen again. God would take the Messianic Jews and make a new beginning with them. And it's interesting, they went to Babylon and the Messianic Jews went into the Roman Empire spreading the gospel, didn't they? And in Babylon, they even preached to the Babylonians. Two, at least two of these Gentile kings, Darius, became a believer. Nebuchadnezzar apparently became a believer. Possibly Artaxerxes became a believer. We see in Daniel, the kings recognizing there's no God but the God of Israel. They brought the message of the true God into the diaspora, didn't they? And that's what happened in the early church, didn't it? The Jews were driven out of the land in 70 A.D. and they went, but the Jewish believers began the new thing. Look at Isaiah 34, 4. All the hosts of heaven will wade away. The sky will be rolled up like a skull. All their hosts will also wither away as the leaf withers from the vine. Notice the connection between the grape and the seed. Or as one withers from the fig tree. Now again, note in both Isaiah 5 and Isaiah 33, the connection between the grape and the vine. We'll come back to that. As one withers from the fig tree. Turn with me, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 6. Verse 12. And I looked up when he broke the sixth seal. When does the rapture come? Between the sixth and seventh. There was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as our cloth made of hair, the whole moon became like blood, the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. Anything can be shaken will be shaken. Very briefly look at Jude's Epistle. Backsliders in the church, verse twelve. They're called autumn trees without fruit, twice dead. They were dead, they were saved, now they're dead again. They've been around a while. Time for the autumn harvest. The autumn harvest in Israel is the fruit harvest. Okay? The grain harvest, the spring, the autumn harvest, the things should be ready for the harvest. But there's no fruit on it. You see that? It's talking here about believers, isn't it? we shall be trees of righteousness. Remember Jesus healed the blind man and he said, I've seen men walking around like trees. The trees of the field will clap their hands. Mission field. Not only figures of nations, they can be figures of people. Trees can represent many things in the Bible. When Solomon had to build the temple, he took the uh, cedars of Lebanon, of Adazim. Because they were figures of Gentile Christians. Get the tape of the typology of the temple. We explain it. Why Hiram, Jew and Gentile, how to build the house of God together. Picture of the church. Now let's look at this. Fig tree comes. There's the fig tree. There's the rapture. Sixth and seventh seal. Right together. Don't know the fig tree. You won't know about the rapture. Turn with me to Joel 1.12. Yoel Hanavi. Same thing we read in Revelation and Isaiah. The vine dries up. The fig tree fails. The pomegranate, the palm also, fell, and the apple tree. What does Luke say? The parable of the fig tree and the other trees. All the trees of the field that used to clap their hands dry up. Indeed, rejoicing dries up from the sons of men. Something terrible happens before Jesus comes. Yet he's coming for his bride. Look at the Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Verse 3, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. In his shade I took great delight and sat down, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. It's at this time, as we read about all these trees blossoming—cedars, cypresses, figs. Now, the word in chapter three can sometimes be understood as apricot, but it could also be understood as as uh, apple. A couple of trees. He never said, learn the parable of the fig tree. Never. That's not what he said. He said, learn the parable of the fig tree and the other trees. Joel and Isaiah fit Revelation 6, 13, like a glove between the sixth and seventh seal. Fit it like a glove. Where is the parable of the fig tree and the other trees? Charges. Turn to the book of Judges, chapters 8 and 9. Verse 33. We read, Then it came about, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the sons of Israel again played the harlot with Baal and made baal their god. Thus the sons of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side, nor did they show kindness to the house of Jerubbaal, is, Gideon, in accordance with all the good he had done to Israel. This is a very disturbing phenomena. It happens here in Judges, but it has happened many times in church history, many times in Israel's history, and it's happening today. On our video, The Golden Calf, we talk about bow worship. How Israel's husband was to be Yahweh, and the Hebrew word for husband, master, or owner is Baal, the true Baal, was Yahweh, the same as the Christ is the bridegroom of the church. These other Baals, Baal Shemaim, meaning Master of Heaven or Husband of Heaven, or Baal Pior, or in this case, Baal Berit, these are counterfeit husbands. The problem with Baal worship is there was other gods counterfeiting Yahweh, you understand? Now, on the Antichrist tapes, we explain this, what the of mesha men will be, the abomination that makes desolate. Satan wanting to take God's woman. It's something that counts if it's the real God. And we deal with this and we explain it on the golden calf tapes and videos. Look at uh, Westminster Chapel in London. You know Westminster Chapel? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached the Word of God there faithfully. Probably the greatest expository Bible preacher of, of, of Great Britain of this century. He came open to the gift of the Spirit before he went to be with the Lord. As long as he was there, that place was a beacon of light and truth. One or two points I wouldn't have agreed with him on, but only one or two. His series on Romans 9 to 11, he did believe in the Prophetic purposes of God for the the Jews. Came to believe in the gifts of the Spirit. He was a millennial, but at least he wasn't post-millennial. Good man. There hasn't been a Bible expositor in Great Britain like him since then. There hasn't been a scholar like F.F. Bruce since F.F. Bruce, and there hasn't been a preacher like Martin Lloyd-Jones since Martin Lloyd-Jones. Hasn't been one. At least no indigenous one. Nobody from here. That place now plays the harlot. Plays the harlot. Paul Cain, Devil Coates, Bob Worship, something counterfeiting Yahweh saying it's God when it isn't. Listen to the Golden Calf video. And the old timers, the people who were saved and discipled under the ministry of Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, who is now with Jesus, and sidetracked. This counted, in fact many of them have virtually felt compelled, probably most of them have felt compelled to leave. They did not show kindness to the house of Zerubbabel. that is Gideon, in accord with all the good that he's done to Israel. Now I'll just give one example that we would all be familiar with in this country. There are many similar examples around the world today, and there have been many such cases throughout church history. I can say the same about the Methodists. Those who really believe what Wesley believed are ostracized by the Methodist church. I could say it about the Anglicans. Those who really believed what Tyndale and, and Cranmer and J.C. Ryle believed, they're there on the out. I could say it about the Baptists. Those who believe what John Bunyan believed and who believe what, what Frederick believed here on the Alps. I could say it about the Pentecostals. Certainly. Pentecostalism today is no longer biblical Pentecostalism. It's no longer traditional Pentecostalism. It's just basically charismania. And the old People, the old timers, uh, the, the original house of the founders, they're just sidetracked. <laughs> they don't mean anything anymore in any of these churches. This is very sad. And it becomes more acute before Jesus comes back. You're going to see that. You're going to see hope, you're you, seeing, and we're going to see more whole churches and whole movements being hijacked. Hijacked. The Messianic movement has been largely hijacked by charismaniacs. Have the case of Dan Juster in America? Not possible. There was some kind of prophecies when his son was born that his son would be a prophetic evangelist, whatever that is. Not sure what that is, but he was going to be one. Terribly and tragically, some months ago, the kid was asphyxiated in a terrible fire with some other teenagers. But they held on to this prophecy that the kid was going to be a prophetic evangelist. So they kept him on an artificial life support system, wouldn't disconnect it. And for a couple of days, they wouldn't let them pull the plug. Finally, the hospital did it anyway. Then so they got more prophecies. The Lord was going to raise him from the dead. So they wouldn't bury the corpse. How not it a bereaved family? And enough grief, the loss of a, a child, a teenager? He's giving them false hope. That same Dan Juster was endorsing promise keepers. All it is is charismania packaged in Yiddishkeit. Diasporic Ashkenazi Jewish culture. Charismania packaged in and this is the whole thing with Philip Sharp has gone into. The whole lunatic prince, the whole nut. All of it's nuts. Now, the forefathers of the Messianic movement, they weren't nuts. David Baron, Brother Delich. They were in nuts. But the people who hold on to a traditional understanding of messianic theology, they're sidetracked. This is a big problem, and it's going to get bigger before Jesus comes. They'll keep the same name, but the substance will be totally different. Chapter 9, verse 1, And Abimelech, my father the king, Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaal, went to Shem, to his mother's relatives, and spoke to them and to the whole clan of the house of his mother's father, saying, Speak now in the healing of all the leaders of Shem. Which is better for you, that seventy men, all the sons of Jerubbaal, rule over you, or that one man rule over you? Also remember, I am your bone and your flesh. Now, he was a quasi-brother, and his mother's relatives, they hear this, and they spoke all these words in his behalf on the hearing of all the leaders of Shem, and they were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our relative, he's one of us. Read about Abimelech's background, you find that that was a half-truth. He looked enough like one of us, but he was really not one of them. Sound familiar? John chapter or John first John. Now you have the price of redemption and betrayal. In the book of Genesis, before the fall of man, you have gold mentioned in the precious metals. And you have it after the restoration in Revelation. Silver, however, you only find after the fall and before the final restoration. Silver is of temporary value. It is a corrosive metal. Gold is not. Gold won't oxidize. Silver will. Okay? Silver rust can perish. Gold lasts forever. The value of silver is temporary. It was the price of redemption. The half shekel for the firstborn. Jesus was betrayed. 30 pieces of silver. Here you have another bribe. Silver. Okay. People chase that which is temporary of temporary value. Taking their eyes off what's of eternal value. Man was not created to be saved. We were created to be God's children. We weren't created to be saved. Although the gospel and our salvation is very important, everything depends on it because of the fall, it's somewhat parenthetical. The Lord knew we would fall, but he didn't create us to save us. That was not his ultimate aim. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver from the house of Dalperit. Notice he's into interfaith religion, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows and they followed him. You are going to find God's people fooling around more and more and more with false religions. I've warned several years ago that the same people who were saying it's okay to be Catholic and pray to the dead and have transubstantiation and think you're going to burn in purgatory for your own sins, give them five years for be saying it's okay to be a Mormon. And it's already beginning to happen. Now you've got Mr. Crease ecumenical jihad. People like J.I. Packard, Chuck Colson, Wright. A man who says Muslims can go to heaven and all this. You're going to find more of this and you're going to find more money involved in it. There'll be financial interest involved in the rise of Babylon. Notice what happens. They're all inclined to go with him. Let's come together. It's the trend. We want to get on board with this thing. Don't you find leaders thinking that way and talking that way more and more? We want to go with this thing. Wait a minute. This departs from our tradition. It it, I don't think it's scriptural. Yeah, it might have some points we don't agree with, but it's still the new thing. And we want to go with it. <laughs> it's almost like a compulsive behavior. They don't know where they're going. But I know where they're going to end up. Then he went to his father's house, in verse 5, at Oprah, and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal, 70 men on one stone. And he lifted his voice, and he called out, and thus he said to them, Listen to me, O men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. Now this guy escapes This guy knows how to tell others not to be taken in by this traitor. Murderer. This guy understands what's really going on. He was able to save his own neck and he has the potential of helping others to save their neck. Why? He knew the parable of the fig tree and the other trees. Verse 8. Once the trees went forth to anoint the king over them, and they said to the olive tree. Now the olive tree is a much better and much clearer symbol of Israel, of a nation, than the fig tree, Romans 11, etc. Reign over us, but the olive tree said, shall I leave my fatness with which God and men are honored and go wave over other trees? The olive tree was concerned with self-interest. Then the tree said to the fig tree, You come reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go wave over other trees? Then the tree said to the vine, Notice the connection Isaiah, again, always with the vine and the figs. You can reign over us. But the vine said, Shall I leave my new wine, which cheers God and men, and go wave over the trees? Look at Isaiah 24, 7. The new wine mourns; the vine decays. All the merry-hearted sighs. The gaiety of the tambourine ceases. The noise of the river stops, and the gaiety of the harp comes to an end. No more spring harvest. So much for the charismatic movement. Charisma magazine ceases to circulate. Hallelujah. (laughs) They're so caught up in the new wine. The worship of worship. Not the worship of God. The worship of worship. Not seeking the Lord. Seeking emotionally gratifying experience. Not that emotionally gratifying experience is wrong, subordinate to the Lord. Do you love your husband? you love your wife? What's more important to you? The life of your husband and your wife? The relationship with your husband or your wife? Or just your sex life? We all like the romance. But if you really loved your husband and you really loved your wife, if they became sexually dysfunctional, you still wouldn't leave them. It's like that. There's nothing wrong with the experience in its place and in its perspective. This is what they're chasing. The new wine warned.
0: Do
1: you know how many people say don't we can't leave what we're doing, this is gonna upset things? It's gonna make hassles. Listen to the Psalm 23 tapes. The good shepherd, the good shepherds, and the hirelings. Jesus is a good shepherd. Faithful pastors are good shepherds. Then there's wolves in sheep's clothing. But then there are hirelings. Most pastors, most ministers are neither good shepherds nor are they wolves in sheep's clothing. Most of them are. It's their job, their career, their business, it's their pension, it's their building, it's their salary, their credential, their standing in the denomination. That's what they're out for. Everything but the sheep is their priority. I can't tell you how many ministers in the major denominations know what's wrong. Know what's wrong, but go along with it. What happens when this takes place? When the olive tree says no, I'm not going to stand up and take responsibility? What happens when the fig tree says no? What happens when the vine says no? Look at verse 15. The bramble said to the trees, If in truth you're anointing me as king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. Why do you think there's men like Gerald Coates running the church in this country? Because other men who know better love themselves more than they do the Lord and the sheep. Why is the bramble reigning over us? Why are men like Benny Hinn the biggest preachers in the world? Because men like Jack Hayford defend him. Men who know better. This will have its climax in Antichrist. That's the parable of the fig tree. The parable of the fig tree and the other trees. Those who do not know the parable of the fig tree are being deceived. My goal for you, dear people, is to make sure that you do know it. God bless. Let's have a break. In the hour of discourse. Jesus said, lift up your head when you see these things. Your redemption draws near. We all go through struggles. We all go through problems. Peter says that some strange thing were happening to you. I have a health problem with my neck, but I have a backslidden sister about to marry an unsaved person at the end of this month. I'm heartbroken. Won't go to the wedding. Wasn't even invited because she knows where I stand. Things like this get to people. Unsaved loved ones, backslidden loved ones, these are terrible things. Terrible things. For myself, perhaps for a lot of us, I want Jesus to come back. But for the sake of the unsaved, particularly our loved ones, I want him to wait. You understand his attention. There's this tension, isn't there? Now, you have your problems. I have my problems. If you could keep my sister in prayer, I would appreciate it. Her name is Sandra, and I'm praying that somehow, perhaps the wedding won't happen. That God will prevent it without some disaster. Don't know. That's my problem. I don't know what your problem is, but I guarantee you have one. We all have problems. I'm afraid to fly in the year 2000. So as a result, I'm getting on an airplane in a few weeks. And I'm going all around the world. I won't see my family for a couple of months. I have to do all this stuff at once just because I'm afraid. My, my travel agent told me that there's a new cause to my travel insurance, that if anything happens because of the year 2000 problem, I, my family won't get anything if I'm killed in a plane crash. That's what my travel agent told me. I don't know, maybe, I hope it's, I hope it's a storm in a teacup. The stuff I pull off the internet, some people say it'll be a storm in the teacup, some people say it'll be a disaster, a lot of people say they don't know. I'm talking about experts in the industry. So if experts don't know, what do I know, right? Uh, we all have things that are, all have things like this. All of us have these things. And sometimes it's just easy to get fed up and want the Lord to come. We have a dear sister in Nottingham who was bereaved of a son who, praised the Lord, accepted the Lord before he died. And uh, she runs a Christian bookshop, couldn't be here today, this weekend. And I can understand, you know, she was telling me that she just wants the Lord to come. I can understand this. I can understand how people feel that way. And you know what? Before Jesus comes back, we're going to feel more that way. We're just going to want this thing to be over. That's what I think. But then I think about the people I love and care about who aren't ready. I think about the things in my own life the Lord is trying to deal with, so I'll be ready. There's this tension, isn't there? Well, if you could pray for my sister, I would appreciate it. And may the Lord meet your needs and your family's needs as well. But we have to look to reality. When you see these things happening, lift up your head, your redemption draws near. Turn with me, please, to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 12. Ezekiel Hanavi. In Ezekiel's day, the things that Isaiah had warned about, the things that Jeremiah had prophesied, had already begun to happen. And even though Babylon was coming and God's people were going into captivity, the religious leadership in Judah, Israel was already gone, still refused to listen to the word of God. They saw what happened to Israel. They could not deny that what Jeremiah had said would happen, happened, which they put him in prison for having said. They couldn't deny that what Isaiah said was going to happen, happened, which they fought him in half. couldn't deny this. Yet they still wouldn't listen. There's none so blind as those who cannot see. No. None so blind as those who will not see. You're seeing the same things happen now that happened then. In the argument Discourse this of Matthew 24, Jesus takes what happens in the last days of Judah. Also Israel, but more so Judah. And he uses it as a foreshadowing of what will happen before he comes back. The same themes of the temple it's in Jeremiah, isn't it? He begins with the temple. People were saying, the temple of the Lord, the people of the Lord, victory, victory, kingdom, kingdom. Were God's people going forth in strength. Jeremiah was saying judgment was coming, or so the Jews did in his day. Read Josephus. They just wouldn't believe the believers when they were telling them. Of course, the false prophets and the false messiahs. Bar Kokhba came, and we, we, we read about someone called Judas of Galilee in the book of Acts. Many false prophets and false messiahs. By 70 A.D., they found out that Jesus was right. They found out that the apostles were right. They found out that their interpretation of the book of Daniel was the correct one. The temple was gone, Jerusalem was gone, the scattering, and they still would not believe. understand? That's what happened in Jeremiah's day. And Isaiah's day. In Ezekiel's day. That's what happened in Jesus' day. In the first century church. And that's kind of what happens in the last days, before he comes back. Only now we're not only dealing with Israel and the Jews. We're dealing with the church. Israel's already gone. Into the Syrian captivity. Now Babylon looms. I'll tell you something. Babylon looms again. It may begin with Nimrod and Genesis. It may seem to have climaxed in the Old Testament. It may seem to have been replayed with pagan Rome. But we haven't heard the end of Babylon. As a matter of fact, we haven't seen much more than the beginning. Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 17, verse 4. Verse 3, And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, filled with blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, like Grand Crouch. Having in her hand a cup filled of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And upon her forehead a name was written, A Mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of whores, and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I greatly wondered. Isaiah thought it's coming. But King Manasseh didn't like it. So he had Isaiah executed. We're told from the Jewish history. Jeremiah saw it coming. your king, the other kings, they didn't like it. So they locked him in prison. Then they threw him in a cistern. I locked him up. By Ezekiel's day, it was irrefutable. They still wouldn't listen. That's the way Jesus said it was going to be before he comes back. Or oh, there'll be a rapture. There'll be an escape. There'll be a rescue. That's the way it's going to come about. Just look. You can show people things they cannot deny. The flowers have been gone commemorating the death of Princess Diana not for three months. They have been gone for nearly 16 months. The Mormons just opened the biggest Mormon temple in the world in England. The place is a monstrosity. More mosques built in England than churches since Toronto, since the Kansas City prophets. I've gone through this before homosexuals and lesbians meeting on TV in Southern Cathedral, We've gone through. They can't deny these things. Now you get got Abenzini discrediting the gospel the way Cirillo did with the money thing. They can't deny these things. Objectively, they cannot fault anything you say. Objectively, they couldn't fault anything Ezekiel said. Objectively, they couldn't fault anything Jeremiah said. Objectively, they couldn't fault what Isaiah said. Fault? No. But they rejected it anyhow. This is rebellion against the Lord. It's not rejection of you. It is rebellion against the Lord. Jeremiah 5, the prophets prophesy falsely and my people love it so. What will you do in the end? Jeremiah, the lying pen of the prophets. Rick Joiner and the rest of them that's the way it's going to be before he comes let's look at Ezekiel 12 therefore in verse 23 say to them thus says the Lord what do we tell them now? we showed them we told them they heard but they don't listen what do we do now? we know the Lord is coming Another thing is not coming. Therefore say to them, I will make this proverb cease so that they will no longer use it as a proverb in Israel. But tell them the days draw near as well as the fulfillment of every vision. There will no longer be any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. They go around flattering visions and false divinations, don't they? giving people false promises of blessing, revival, your church is going to grow to a thousand people? All over the place they do that. For I, the Lord, shall speak, and whatever word I speak will be performed. It will no longer be delayed, for in your days, O rebellious house, I shall speak the word and perform it, declares the Lord. These people are going to see the judgment in their day. True prophets are going to begin to pronounce judgment on the false one and on the church. You're going to see havoc. You're going to see death. You're going to see judgment. True prophets may be in the minority. They're certainly in the minority. But it's going to be their word that counts. And God has thousands of prophets. Thousands. Furthermore, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, behold, the highest of Israel is saying, the vision that he sees is for many years from now, and he's prophesied times far off. Oh, I know what the Bible says about the rapture, and I know what the Bible says about the last days, but that's not going to be now. That's going to be a long time from now. These things aren't really happening this quick. Yes, things have changed. See, and in the church. Oh, it's going to be a long time from now. It's not going to happen soon. Oh, I know what the Bible says about judgments and all that stuff, but you're misunderstanding it anyway. And anyhow, it's not for now. The Lord has shown us there's going to be a revival. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord, None of my words will be delayed any longer. Whatever word I speak will be performed, declares the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to me. And remember, the word is the divine, the incarnate Christ. The incarnate word is Jesus. The Logos. Son of man... Prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy and say to those who prophesy from their own inspiration. Now listen to the word of the Lord. We heard about your flowers from Sheffield. We heard about your Kansas City revival coming in 1990. We heard about your Toronto. We heard about your other stuff. But now that hasn't happened. Now listen to what God is saying, Terry Virgo. Now listen to what God is saying, Gerald Coates. Now listen to what God is saying, Dr. Kendall. We've heard what you said, and it didn't happen. Now let's hear what God is saying. Many false prophets. He warns about this before the rapture. This is the sign that he keeps coming back to. Deception perpetrated against the elect. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who are following their own spirit and have seen nothing. Paul Cain saw nothing. Mike Bickle saw nothing. Cheryl Cope saw nothing. Rick Joyner saw nothing. That silly woman in Sheffield for nothing. Where is it? Oh Israel, your prophets have been like foxes among the ruins. Can't they see the state of the church? How many people even go to church? You've not gone up into the breaches, nor did you build the wall around the house of Israel to stand in the battle on the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. It's time to defend the church, to get ready for the onslaught that's coming against it. But they've not done that. They've not defended the church or told people they need to prepare for the last days. How many are telling people prepare for the last days? A handful? They're teaching Alpha, we're teaching Omega. How many? How many? They're saying Alpha, God saying Omega. They see falsehood. They see lying divination. And they're saying the Lord declares when the Lord has not sent them. Yet they hope for the fulfillment of his word. No, it's not his word. They hope for the fulfillment of their word. When God really speaks, when God really speaks, you don't have to hope it happens. You know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. You know. Say, hope! I hope that by the time the flowers are gone, something big happens and people begin flocking to the churches in the thousands. I hope I hope. Verse 7, Did you not see a false vision and speak a lying divination when you said the Lord declares, but I have not spoken? Weren't you wrong, Paul Kane? Weren't you wrong, Cheryl Coates, about your earthquake in New Zealand? About your prophecy to the South Bank Church? Weren't you wrong, Mike Bickle, about the blossoming revival coming to Germany? Weren't you wrong, Rick Joyner? I'm asking you sincerely. Watch the video. Were you wrong, Mr. Joyner, in your book, The Harvest? The Iron Curtain came down, the opposite of what you said. Weren't you wrong? Terry Virgo had that letter of you saying that the prediction of the Kansas City prophets was what was going to happen. Well, it didn't happen, Terry Virgo. Did you mislead those people? I'm asking you sincerely. Were you wrong? The flowers are gone, Gerald. Where is it? I see what the Muslims are doing. I see what the Mormons are doing. But where is your revival? That's about it. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They don't have visions from God. They're not prophesying. They are divining. They will have no place in the council of my people. Nor will they be written down in the register of the house of Israel. Don't they know they're in danger of having their names blotted out of the book of life? Nor will they enter the land of Israel, that you may know that I am the Lord God. It is definitely because they have misled my people. What's wrong in your life is a problem. What's wrong in my life is a problem. But anything wrong in my life, in God's economy, he can deal with that. But if I dare stand on this platform and teach you one word that's not from him, woe to me. Let few of you be teachers. Be judged more strictly than the rest. What do I think they're handling? This is God's word. These are God's people. To mislead his people? often for the sake of their own interest? It's because she's misled my people saying peace when there is no peace. What did we look at yesterday? What did Paul say? What did Jeremiah say? What did Ezekiel say? What is God saying now? Peace. Shalom. Shalom. From the Hebrew shalom, filled, everything is right. Everything is right? And when anyone builds a wall, behold, they plaster it over with whitewash. So tell those who plaster it over with whitewash, it'll fall. A flooding rain will come, and you will have stones will fall. And a violent wind, ruach, spirit, will break out. Behold, when the wall has fallen, will you not be asked, where is the plaster with which you plastered it? Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will make a violent ruach, break out in my wrath. There will also be in my anger a flooding rain and a hailstone to consume it in wrath. So I shall tear down the wall with which you plastered over with whitewash, and bring it down to the ground, so that its foundations is laid bare. And when it falls, you will be consumed in its midst, and you will know that I am the Lord. Thus I shall spend my wrath on the wall and on those who have plastered it over with whitewash. And I shall say to you, the wall is gone and its pastures are gone, along with the prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and who see visions of peace for her when there is no peace, declares the Lord." Now you, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who are prophesying from their own inspiration. Prophesy against them. You know what that's saying? This is what it's saying. There's the wall. Holy Trinity, Brompton, St. Andrews, Chorley Wood, there they were, the Docklands Arena, London. I've got videos, perhaps so do you. We quit being the saints. I've got the book. This is August of 1990. The Latter-day rain is coming the following October. People will do the miraculous. Walk through walls. None of God's word will fall, says Paul Cain. 100% accuracy. They're all clapping. Kansas City. Well, October came and went. 1990 came and went. 1991 came and went. 1992 came and went. What did Sandy Miller do? What did Perry Virgo do? I'll tell you what they did. What they always do. Quick! Get the riot wash out! Cover it up! Cover it up! Get the riot wash out!
0: <laughs>
1: then comes... The whitewash. Forget about Kansas City, we covered it up. Now it's Toronto. <coughs> well, now we're up to nineteen ninety two. Ninety three. It begins. Nineteen ninety three comes and goes. Being exposed in England in 94, Australia, New Zealand, 94 comes and goes, 95 comes and goes, still no revival, in three years, oh my God, these people were right, there's no revival, what are you going to do about it, Quick! Get the wire wash out! Get the wire wash out!
0: Yeah!
1: Alpha. <laughs> Here we are. We're up to 96. Homosexuals and lesbians, clergy, with clerical collars holding hands, kissing in a cathedral where Christians were once martyred in South London. On national television. The Archbishop consecrating holy sites with pagans, with Buddhists, with Hindus, with witch doctors. National TV, 9 o'clock service. Something's worked out. Arthur was supposed to change the church, couldn't even change the Church of England. What are we going to do? This whole issue of homosexual clergy is exploding all over the front pages of the national newspapers. There's no revival. Things are not happening. What are we going to do?
0: Quick! Get the whitewash out! Pensacola!
1: Yeah, get the whitewash out. I wonder what it's going to be next. This can only go on so long, so far, but God says, I'll spend my wrath on that wall. You've cast it over with whitewash enough, but the wall will be gone, and so will the ones who whitewashed it. A rain, a wind, hailstones, consume it with wrath along with the prophets who prophesied it. Now you, son of man, set your face, in verse 17, against the daughters of your people, who are prophesying from their own inspiration. What out will women take the ascent in the church? The Marilyn Hickey things. Prophesy against them. Thus says the Lord, woe to the women who sew magic bands at all wrists and make bales for the heads of persons of every statue to hunt down lies. Will you hunt down the lives of my people, but preserve the lives of others for yourselves? For a handful of barley and fragments of bread you profane me to my people, to put to death some who should not die, and keep others alive who should not live by your lying to my people who listen to lies. They sold bands together. Do you see the stuff these people send out? Holy Ghost miracle handkerchiefs to take away debt, stickers to put on your bill paid. It's sorcery. It's witchcraft. When people were healed through the apostles' handkerchiefs, they didn't sell them, did they? They didn't use it as a fundraising gimmick, did they? Look at this. For a handful of barley and fragments of bread, you profane me to my people. You put to death people who are right, who are honest, who are true, but spared those who should be executed. Now, we don't stone false prophets anymore, but the sin is no less serious. They should be removed to prophetic ministry. But they haven't removed Paul Cain. They haven't removed Gerald Coates. They haven't removed Rick Joyner. Who have they removed? The ones who warned about Paul Kane, Jericho, and Richard. One, they're the ones who get removed. They're the ones who get banned. Nothing new. Nothing new at all. Handfuls of barley. Look at the Book of Amos, chapter eight. Verse 5. Let's look at verse 4. Hear this, you who trample the needy to do away with the humble of the land. Look at who the money-oriented preachers prey on the most. Unemployed, single-parent families. Immigrants from poor countries. Giving them false hope. Saying, when will the new moon be over? This is a Jewish prohibition, prohibition about trafficking, handling lucre on the Sabbath. So that we may buy grain. And the Sabbath, that we may open the wheat market. Now look at this. To make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger. To cheat with dishonest scales. When the bushel gets smaller, the shekel gets bigger. When the shekel gets bigger, the bushel gets smaller. The more they talk about money, the less they talk about this. The more they get into money, the less they feed the people. They charge them more and more for less and less. Now, if people are being fed, if people are being taught the word of God, if people are being helped, if people are being edified, if they are being prepared for the last days, they should support those ministries. Those who work hard at preaching and teaching, I have no argument with those who are honest. These other guys? The more they talk about money, the less they give the word of God. The shekel gets bigger, and the bushel gets more. Back to Ezekiel, verse twenty. Therefore, thus says the Lord: I'm against your magic bands by which you hunt lives there as birds, and will tear them off your arms, and will let them go, even those lives who you hunt as birds. It's using an analogy from something. And I will tear off your veils and deliver my people from your hands and they'll no longer be in your hands to be hunted. You will know that I am the Lord. These men are hunters. Because you disheartened the righteous with falsehood when I did not cause them grief but have encouraged the wicked not to turn from his wicked way and preserve his life. They never stand up to these guys. The only ones they stand up against are people who will take the stand. The only thing they will stand against is someone who takes the stand. Even though they may personally agree with them. Therefore, you women will no longer see false visions or practice divination. I will deliver my people out of your hand. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. What was going to happen here? The captivity of Babylon that had been prophesied was now looming by the time Ezekiel began his ministry. It already was a reality. Jeremiah's day, it was looming and commences. By Ezekiel's day, it's a reality. The whole thing is, Babylon is going to come and take it. Babylon is coming and taking it. This year, at the Baptist Convention, the featured speaker was Cardinal Basil Hume, a son of the Antichrist. This year, evangelical Anglican clergy marched on back of a statue of Mary from uh, Walsingham. Babylon, friend. It's no longer looming. It's now arriving. That's what's really happening. I don't know if I can be stopped. I don't even know if it's possible any longer to sound a meaningful caveat. I hope so. I pray so. I'll do everything I can to see it come about as the Lord allows and grants. But I don't know. What I do know is this. Judgment always begins in the house of God. And whitewash, whitewash, and whitewash all they want. Height, height, more height. Bigger, bigger shekel, smaller and smaller bushel. But the wall is coming down. That I know. The second thing I know is Babylon is rising. But the third thing I know is fallen, fallen is Babylon. The final thing I know, and the most important thing I know, and the most important thing God wants you to know is this. Lift up your head. Your redemption draws near. God bless you.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.